You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Katie's resonates with a few of you out here this morning. I want to thank Casey for channeling uh, uh, Huey Lewis for us and the uh, power of love. Amen. Well, good morning to all of you, my brothers and sisters. Good to be here today. So great to see you all. Uh, whether you're live, in person. Oh, thank you, Brian. Get rid of my heat, heat, my face warmer here for a minute. Excuse me for just a sec. And to my brothers and sisters out here, I just had to come and say hi. Love you guys. Appreciate you making this work. Anyway. All right. Well, again, my name is Steve Marici. I have the incredible honor of leading the coastal region with my wife, Jacqueline. Um, being a part of all of you here in the South Bay, uh, president of the Middle East, uh, the Middle East World Sector when it comes to finances and our mission society there, and a delegate representing you all when it comes to our, our global leadership as well, just some of the things going on around the world. But awesome to be here this morning. Am I breaking the, I don't know what that is. It's clear loose sight, and I don't think it has anything to do with this thing up here. But anyway, sorry about that distraction. Let's go ahead and pray. Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> well, Father, you are an amazing God. And uh, I, I just get pumped coming together with my brothers and sisters. Really excited to be here this morning. I pray that you work through me in a great way as I take us to your scriptures. And more than anything, I'm leading myself and each of us to have the kind of heart that Jesus had for this world of ours. And in spite of its issues and problems, it's so amazing to know that we've got a God that's in control and that our treasure isn't here. Our treasure is in heaven, and as disciples, that is a deed that we already own. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, and uh, please be with us. Bless this service today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to go ahead and start out by reflecting on the words of Isaiah the prophet for a moment as he talked to uh, people of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Isaiah 1, verses 10 through 19, he tells God's people that he's not interested in their burnt offerings. He calls them meaningless. You know, it's a, it's a pretty hard passage when you think about some of the things that God is stating here in it. He also talks about their assemblies, when they get together like we're getting together, as being worthless. But the, there's this amazing transition that takes place when it comes to the kind of love that God has for us and the grace that he extends. God's grace and love through that, he points those people back to repentance and he offers them forgiveness. Which, you know, just thinking that through for a minute, with that forgiveness, God continues to call them back to do the right thing, to seek justice, to defend the oppressed, to care for the orphans and widows. And he tells them to be washed and made clean, to be obedient. And with that obedience, then they would have the opportunity to eat the good things that he had promised them in the land that they were in. In Psalm 32, verses 1 through 8, we see David talk about the same forgiveness, the need for that forgiveness. You know, this, this comes off of his interaction with Nathan about various things that he was involved with, various sin in his life, uh, deceit, murder, adultery. And in Psalm 51, we see how jacked up he was because of where he was at and his lack of connection and obedience to God. But in Psalm 32, we see him make this transition where he talks about the forgiveness and the needs to confess sin. And then 
with that, that forgiveness that comes, being able to live in that moment, the joy that that forgiveness brings. Forgiveness is something that changes us. You know, just think about that for a minute. Forgiveness changes us. Forgiveness changes things. And think about it just for a moment. I think all of us can relate to this. Think about a time where forgiveness was needed, where there was something that maybe you did, something that you regretted. Maybe you, there was a time where you hurt someone, and you were in need of forgiveness. I got too many of those to go through, honestly. You know, thinking back through my marriage through the years, my relationship with my kids, other people, individuals that I've hurt with harsh things that I may have said or actions. So that being in need of forgiveness is something I definitely can relate to and understand. And how did it feel, ultimately, after you were forgiven? Uh, yeah, somebody said, great. I know, for me, just this sense of relief that I didn't, I didn't destroy that relationship or I didn't put that ongoing relationship in jeopardy because of their willingness to forgive me. Now, think of a time that you gave forgiveness. And maybe it was a time where it took a lot longer you to get to where you needed to get with that forgiveness, but think about that time where you gave forgiveness. Forgiveness takes love. Again, forgiveness takes love, and forgiveness changes things. You know, in Paul's church to the, uh, or letter to the church in Thessalonica, he boasts about them living in grace, and how that, in, that grace, a lot of what we experienced when we went through our families of origin, it's amazing how when you know someone, that you really didn't know how empathy becomes a portion of that equation, and it makes it that much easier to love and forgive. Well, that's what was going on in Thessalonica. <clears throat> and the sermon this morning focuses on the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. You know, it's, it's amazing to see Zacchaeus and this display of joy and transformation upon receiving God's loving grace and forgiveness. And that brings us to the title of the message this morning. Again, is the power of love. Now, uh, when it comes to music, hey, we have any 80s fans out there at all? And I'm not going to walk through the decades, the 60s, the 70s, the 90s, and wherever we're at today from a musical standpoint, but I think the 80s probably resonates with a pretty large group of people. Uh, these are just some of my albums from back in the day. Uh, it was a, kind of an eclectic mix. There was definitely a share of uh, the new age, new wave punk in there, but there was definitely some mainstream stuff as well. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, a, for me, a very easy period in my life. A lot of time in Hollywood, at the Roxy, uh, the, well, just all the different little, little clubs that they had out there. Uh, it was amazing to be able to see some of these bigger name groups in these small venues. And... Uh, I even had the, uh, it's a story for another time, but even had some interaction with Brian May of Queen as I was leaving the Roxy to go to my car to get something. Well, it's short enough that I can recount it. He actually vouched for me getting back in and that the stamp that they gave me, as sweaty as I was and as, uh, as hairy as I am, the guy's like, dude, there ain't nothing on the back of your hand. And Brian May's like, no, dude, I totally saw him come out. And it was shortly after that the blasters opened for them at the forum. But, you know, the 80s was a fun period of time, right, Jack? Had to take care of the wife. Not a big Bruce fan, but I love Clarence on tenor sax. He was, Clarence is the man. 
But, you know, thinking this through when it comes to that decade, it was a lot of fun. There were some amazing songs. Obviously, the one that Casey just performed for us was out of the 80s from the movie Back to the Future. And the power of love. And there's, there's a part of that, as I was working on this message, Holy Spirit must have liked the 80s too, because it just kind of popped into my head. And I'm not a big Huey Lewis fan. I appreciate Casey's version much more than I did Huey's. But anyway, yeah. amen. It, it seems to resonate with the group as well. But it, the, the lyrics were, the power of love is a curious thing. Makes one man weep, makes another man sing. Changes the heart from a hawk to a little white dove, more than a feeling, that's the power of love. And then, of course, another song from the 80s popped into my head. And that, as you notice here, the lyrics talk about love is more than a feeling. Any Boston fans out there? I'm, I'm not going to sing it. Maybe Casey will do a rendition of it for us later. But, you know, really understanding that love can change things, actually create change in people. Love is this amazingly powerful force. Love can transform a person's life and Every one of us as disciples can speak into that transformation. You know, I, I look at my mother-in-law and the love that she's demonstrated for me through the years, going back to the beginning. This woman's a saint, and that uh, I definitely have created a, a certain amount of grief, even for her through the years, with different things that have gone on in our household. But this woman was really, for me, the first real demonstration of unconditional love. Uh, she endeared herself to me within, you know, Jackie and I dated for a month. A month later, we were married. Uh, somewhere in that two-month period, I, you know, asked, well, I didn't really ask. I set up a question in a way that she couldn't say no, but asked Jackie if she had an aversion to wedding rings. Uh, she said no. That night, I went out and got a ring and proposed. But her dad, I, I wasn't really schooled in etiquette and how you handle things, and I didn't go to her dad and ask for permission. And he, him being kind of an old-school guy, definitely had a little bit of an issue with it. But I remember sitting on the couch, and he is ticked. He's right next to me. When he got agitated, his eyebrows would flutter. So he's trying to flutter me to death with his eye, eyelashes. And then he looks at me, and he's all, so Steve, why didn't you ask me to marry your daughter? Or my daughter? And I'm like, uh. And Jackie's mom didn't miss a beat. She jumped right in. And she said, oh, well, Jimmy, he's not marrying you. What not to love, right? And that's kind of been my life story with her. With my ups and downs, she's always been there for me in a huge way. And uh, mom, if you're watching, I do love you with all my heart. She'll tell you that she couldn't love me more if she, hadn't get, if she had given birth to me herself. So anyways, God's amazing. Yeah, Jackie's annoyed. I mean, I, I've, never asked, I've never asked my mother-in-law who she loves more when it comes to them and me, because I know the answer, no need to pursue that. With that, moving on, and God, if I need to repent of something, I'm sure you'll make it clear. Just don't strike me dead in front of everybody here. I don't know that would go over too well. So anyways, with that love and the ability to transform, I, I do feel that there was a huge transformation in my life that started to take place with the advent of mom, my mother-in-law, coming into my life. And, you know, we can see this transformation in the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, because we find in Luke 19, verse 1, let, let's just go ahead and go there. That's the primary text this morning. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Not only was he a chief tax collector, Scripture tells us he was wealthy as well. You know, just a little bit of background on this period of time. Under the Roman system, tax collecting jobs were given to people who purchased the right to collect taxes. 
It was kind of like a, a Roman franchise, you know, you bought into their uh, handiwork and you can make a lot of money on it. So he paid for the right to collect taxes. Tax collecting was a business. You know, as a business owner, Zacchaeus would set taxes at a rate that would cover whatever the Roman government was taking in and then put a nice tidy little sum on top of that for his actual salary, which based on the fact that he was wealthy, my guess would be that there was uh, quite a bit built in over the taxes that were being collected. And you add to that, he was a chief tax collector. So what that meant is, uh, you know, like we have the head of the IRS and the IRS's minions, uh, Zacchaeus had his minions out there collecting taxes, which he would get a percentage of as well. So there's a little bit of money going on here when it came to uh, just the ability to profit and his status. So Luke tells us again that he was a wealthy man, which obviously he had done pretty well in that franchise he bought from the Roman government. So for Jesus to call out Zacchaeus and then say he wanted to share a meal with him was more than most of the people that were there could handle. You know, they do a little bit of mumbling. You know, this, Jesus, he's gone to be a guest of this guy who's a sinner. With that, let's continue the passage and take a look at some interesting other ideas that are here in these verses. In uh, verse 3, it says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So one of the things we see about Zacchaeus here is that he was super eager. He was desperate to see Jesus. Now the other challenge that he had was that unlike Owen and uh, Jaden, I mean, he wasn't, this guy's vertically challenged, okay? He was short. He had some challenges in that area. And so we, we see this. This is an example of the type of tree. He climbs this tree. He goes out in public, climbs this tree to see Jesus. And you think about this. He's not an exactly very well-liked guy, so he was probably putting his life and his own safety into jeopardy by showing up in this crowd to see Christ. People despised him because of his profession. Jesus not only hated being governed by Rome, paying taxes to Rome, which was just another thorn in light of everything else that was going on, but then to have one of your own countrymen collecting those taxes added a little bit of fuel to the fire that day. Tax collectors were not liked by people in the community. They were presumed to be dishonest, corrupt, and that led to part of the reasoning behind them being despised as much as they were. Verse 5 says, Then when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. You know, I love this. We see Jesus calling him out by name. Jesus honored Zacchaeus in this situation by calling on him by name. This implies that he knew him, and he knew his story. He knew how he was excluded in the community, how he was an outsider of the Jewish community, because he worked for Rome. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' reputation. He knew the truth about Zacchaeus' business practices. Yet we see him honor him by calling him out by name. And as happened with a lot of things that Jesus did, didn't go over real well with the crowd at this particular time. Verse 7 says, All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And so what we can understand by this is that those who grumbled didn't understand at this point at all, what Jesus' ministry was about, why Jesus had come. Many of them assumed that he was going to come in and overthrow the Roman government, that he would be their new king. And the fact that he was hanging out with this tax collector implied that 
Jesus approved. Again, they didn't realize Jesus' mission was to show that God's kingdom operated much differently than the rules that they were used to with the Roman government, with any form of political machine. And that it was to show that God's kingdom was different, that God's kingdom was based on love and grace. Those were the things that were at the top of God's list. And contrary to popular opinion in, in this passage, the Bible doesn't say Zacchaeus was dishonest. It doesn't say that anywhere in there. Zacchaeus' statement to Jesus, however, was, if I have been dishonest, I'll pay back four times as much. So the Bible does let us know that Zacchaeus was considered a sinner by the mutterers of his day because of his business choice and his possible greed. One can also determine that Zacchaeus was more concerned about wealth than reputation. I mean, he wasn't forced into this position. This was a job that he paid to have. But because of that, he had a reputation that was based on his choice to work for the enemy. And his choice, a career that he knew his fellow countrymen hated and despised. But the Bible gives us some great insight into Zacchaeus' heart here, which should give us pause about our own hearts and where we are in this current season, namely in the areas of gratitude, generosity, and contentment. You know, just if you want to do a little side study on this, go back to the preceding chapter in Luke 18, which Luke's probably the most chronological of the four Gospels. But we have this reaction of the, Jesus goes to the rich young ruler, who actually the rich young ruler came to him very much the same way that Zacchaeus did, but we know the outcome was much different. When he was challenged on his wealth and his authority and his position, says that he went away sad. So it reminds me of some of, the, some of those, honestly, when I, I look at these contrasts and look at people's life and contentment and things they're willing to do, it reminds me of some of those that have gone before me. You know, it brings to mind people like the Fuquay, uh, the Teagues that brought Jackie and I into the kingdom, Jess and Cindy Asper, which were the couple that first put us on staff, the Amayas, Jaime and Mimi DeAnda, you know, the one suitcase challenge, selling everything they had for the mission. And, you know, some of you are so young, you may not even have an idea as to what the one suitcase challenge was. It was a matter of, we're sending you to this country, you can pack a bag. And there were people that sold their homes, they sold all their possessions, and they packed that one suitcase, and they went. They learned a foreign language. Now, learning foreign language is one thing. I spent a couple years in Spanish, a couple years in French, and I have absolutely no ability to speak either one of them. Como se llama, you know? Como tal vu? I mean, you know, that's about the extent of it. A little Italian in that mix, too. But anyways, the idea of learning a foreign language, can you imagine learning a foreign language and then preaching in a foreign language? That just is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, that's what these men and women did. They surrendered to the existing medical care or lack thereof in the communities they went into. Some of them still have ongoing medical conditions today because of that sacrifice. There's a woman in particular I know that had surgery in Mexico years ago. It was about a decade later they found that part of her health issues were that they sold her up with a pair of scissors at the operation site. This is what these individuals were willing to go through, though. Grateful for their transformed lives through the power of love and wanting to extend the power of love to others. And Jacqueline and I were grateful for our transformed lives and saw the need to give up what we knew for something new. You know, the lifestyle, the secular jobs that we had for something brand new that we had never participated in or had any part of before. 
And with that, Jack's going to come on up and share a little bit about God's purpose for our life. She wasn't pregnant. <laughs> and we don't recommend it. <laughs> this was before we were Christians. <laughs> Very BC. Yeah, like BCR. Um, anyway, uh, you know, as Steve talked about the Fuquays and and, you know, the, the Aspers, the Teagues, the Amayas, these different people that we think of. I think probably every one of us can think of people in our lives that we know that have been great examples of what a transformed life looks like, right? And we can think back to our own transformation. And then several transformations that have taken place even after baptism, right? Um, we don't, we're, we're not just transformed once, we're transformed many times. But when I think about the transforming power of love and what Steve's talking about, um, you know, these are our brothers and sisters who have helped build this church strong, right? And, um, you know, many of you know our story or part of it. Um, it's way, way, way too deep to get into right now. But just know that if God can take this, right, if God can take this, adulterers, mm. um, sinners, party, tried many drugs, um, immoral. If he can take this and do what he's done this in our marriage and our family and our kids, then, I mean, just think about what he can do, the, like just the power of his transforming love. Amen. And so, yeah, I mean, it was 30 one years ago, uh, that we went to, uh, I went to a Bible talk, because Steve wouldn't go. He's actually my fruit. He won't admit it, but he's my fruit. Um, I went to Bible talk. I was baptized first and baptized her, though, so I don't know, you know, how that plays. That's only because the church was so archaic. I'm older spiritually than she is. (laughs) Right, so you should know better. Well. Um, But, yeah. That's because the church was archaic then and women weren't allowed to baptize. Anyway, that's a whole other story uh, of God's transforming love. Um, but I went to Bible talk. I'm just kidding. I went to Bible talk, uh, you know, with the very pure motive of stealing the nanny, offering her more money, blah, 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 blah. Then went to church, I, you know, because my Pat, pride was I see was you print. laughing out there, man. And then we studied, we started studying, both of us, on Monday, December 7th, I mean, December 3rd, Monday, December 3rd of 1990. And then we were uh, baptized after we fell in love with Jesus, fell in love with the Word of God, um, and were so convicted uh, that the following Monday on December 10th, we were baptized. And um, 13 months later, (laughs) 13 months later, uh, keep in mind, this is 31 years later. This was 13 months later we were asked to go in the full-time ministry. And I was like, there's no way in Hades that that is going to be good for anybody. (laughs) And, you know, I tried to talk the people out of it that were asking us. But anyway, we decided after three days of going up to the cross at Cal Poly Pomona, uh, after wrestling with God, um, that we would give up our careers. Steve was 33, I think, at the time, and I was 
27, um, somewhere around there, 34 and 27, anyway. And uh, so we gave up our careers and we sold our brand new home. And because we hadn't been in it two years yet, uh, the law was that um, we could not have any gains. And so we ended up losing thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, but we had to sell our home because what we were going to be paid in the ministry was a lot less. Even though we didn't even know how much it was, they knew, we didn't even ever ask. I don't recommend that either. But, um, <laughs> but um, we sold our home, sold my Mustang convertible that I just bought, and Keith Rose bought it, and I had to see it every Sunday at church until he totaled it. I think she still struggles with attitudes about that one a little bit. I don't. But it did cause a lot of relationship shifts in having one car. So, but I mean, this is what, if anybody, if you asked any of my friends, anybody who knew me, I mean, even today, my mom's like, I can't believe that you're, you haven't been kicked out of the full-time ministry, right? And um, none of my friends would have ever guessed that I would be the one who would choose God give up everything. I mean, I was all about my career. I had my kids early so they wouldn't interfere with my career, like purposefully. True. Yeah, it's true. So, so, you know, I say all that again to say, if God can take this mess, we'd been married six years, we were separated, we both committed adultery. I mean, our kids were jacked up. Stephen was saying the F word at two years old. I pretended as we were out that he was trying to say the word truck, but that's not what he was saying. And Fuck I think, you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think when, and not everybody is called to the ministry, right? Not everybody is called to the ministry, but we're all called to a transformed life and love, right? <clears throat> and so to me, it's just so amazing to see what God has done with people. And I wouldn't give it up. I mean, I'll tell you, it's, you know, it can be challenging at times living in a glass house. We don't do politics well, so we can get in trouble sometimes, which is probably one of the reasons my mom is surprised I'm not <laughs> being kicked out of the ministry. Mom, I'm still here. Yay. Um, but I just want us to think about how God has taken our lives and still what he can do if we really, really are convinced once again of this transforming love that changes everything, right? It changed the life of my mom, who became a disciple. Mm. I believe that God just used me as a tool because I was more stubborn than she was, <laughs> only by a little bit, um, to help her become a disciple. But just think what God still has in mind for all of us, what still can be transformed and then that transforming love that we get to offer other people, what a great privilege it is to know that love and to live in that love and to be transformed by that love. Amen. Amen. Thanks, babe. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Back to Zacchaeus. So with Zacchaeus, we see that heart, that transformed heart, and then when he offers restitution, talking about if he's cheated anybody, he's going to pay them back. And that restitution was more generous than what the law required. He was only required to restore the original value plus one-fifth based on Levitical law, Leviticus 6, verse 5. 
And the, the only thing that would get him anywhere close to what he was talking about is basically premeditated murder or a violent robbery required fourfold restitution, Exodus 22. So Zacchaeus shows us that he's willing to go above and beyond if he cheated anyone. But he goes further and says he'll give away half of his possessions. Now, when you think about the job that he took based on the wealth that he knew that would be associated with it, for him to give away half of his possessions, this is a bold move for a wealthy person, indicating to us that Zacchaeus is changed by Jesus' loving acceptance. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. I mean, I love this. Jesus makes it clear that everyone belongs, regardless of their career choice or any mistakes that they made. And this is huge. I mean, for him to say that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, reminding the others that his place was with them. You know, he may be a brother who chose to despise career. He may be a sinner. He may be in need of love and forgiveness. But he is first and foremost a brother and heir to God's promises. And this statement epitomizes Luke's central theme throughout the book of Luke. With the coming of Jesus the Messiah, God's end-time salvation had arrived. And it's available to all who respond in faith, whatever their past life, social status, or ethnicity. In verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus states his mission, and part of that statement is that he is accessible to each and every one of us. You know, contrary to what the crowd thought, Jesus' mission was not to become a king and create the type of government that they were familiar with and the type of government that they wanted, which was kicking out the Romans. On the contrary, Jesus wasn't concerned about the government. He was concerned about their earthly lives. And he was much more concerned about where their real eternal citizenship lies. And that it was with him and God in heaven. You know, brothers and sisters, disciples of Christ, I really want you to listen to me here and own this. We are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. That's right. This here, right now, this is not our home. And I think this is where we can kind of get messed up because it's, we all want to get to heaven, but how much time do we actually spend about heaven, thinking about it? How many of you today, I'm just curious, how many of you woke up today thinking, man, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven? Maybe somebody in this mix. Jane, come on, there is. But that just proves my point. I mean, there's got to be a lot more thought into whose we are and where we're going and what we're a part of. And the fact that God ushered us into that relationship through the death of his son. Jesus, he knew that this wasn't our home. Jesus knew that his mission was well beyond this earthly home that we had. He had a godly mission, a mission of love and forgiveness. And Jesus' mission was to seek out and save the lost by showing how people were valuable to God in God's sight. Not just the cool, not just the cool ones, not just the rich ones or the religiously perfect ones. He was issuing in a system that was based on grace. There's no merit involved here because we don't deserve any of it. Sometimes we can live our lives like merit is the key. The harder we work, the more that we do. And that's not what it's about. 
He chose to spend time with those who were marginalized by the culture they lived in. Women, the poor, the sick, those who were despised by others, those who had made mistakes. And he honored those the culture said were nobodies. You know, that's something that really resonated with me. You know, I know I'm not the only one that's got self-esteem issues in this group. I, don't, I never feel like I measure up. God's helped me with that immensely. But those scars, those wounds are still in there. And the stories that I tell myself. But I walk into this fellowship. I get a few hugs. I get a few, hey, bro, I love you, man. It's amazing how that stuff gets pushed into the noise in the background. And that's what we have in this sweet fellowship that we've been blessed with. God's economy, in God's economy, there are no nobodies. Absolutely no nobodies. So just thinking this through as I close out here this morning, really understanding that transformation can only happen in the context of loving acceptance of a person where they are right now. Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus he needed to make any particular changes. He said to Zacchaeus, I'd love to spend some time with you and get to know you better. And that is pretty darn amazing to me when you think this is the son of man, king of kings, down from heaven, got this short guy that can't even in a crowd get his attention, has to climb up into a tree, and Jesus is like, dude, come on down out of the tree. I want some hang time, Zacchaeus. I mean, that's just mind-blowing to me. But that's the kind of God that we have, that he would send his son to do just that, to meet people where they are at. Now, when you think about that, he just wanted to get to know Zacchaeus. Isn't this something, when it comes to anybody we run into, that each and every one of us are capable of doing? Getting to know people? He told them, I'd love to spend some time with you. That was Bruce and Nora Teague for us. Those, those were the discipling relationships we had after that, after that crazy ask that we were hit with to go into the ministry. But there were people that walked it with us. Now, in our relationships, we must put loving acceptance first and leave the job of transformation to God, amen, and his word. No agenda other than love and acceptance and his perfect timing. Now, mind you, acceptance doesn't mean just this blanket overall approval, but God's acceptance does have an agenda, and that is to show God's love and Jesus' love for each and every one of us, amen? You know, consider how this love would impact the relationships with your family, your coworkers, and other church members. Everyone is somebody in God's kingdom. Everyone matters. Everyone has a place and a purpose. And we can't judge a person's contribution or value because all are invaluable in God's sight. All are included, all are loved. So as we consider the transformation of Zacchaeus' heart, we're reminded that love and acceptance create the conditions for transformation to occur. And this transformation ultimately will come from God within a person, not from concerned onlookers. You know, as we get back to the song, the power of love is a curious thing, says the lyrics, but the effects of loving acceptance can be far-reaching and life-changing. You know, and it just brings me back to a passage we all know and are very familiar with, and that's John 13, 34, 35, which reads, A new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, and this is what's so incredibly significant for each and every one of us sitting here today, by this and by nothing else, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So love and forgiveness changes things. Jesus' love and forgiveness changes lives forever. You know, we've got a, a couple with us here that are about to, we're going to be able to experience those transformed lives with. Miguel Salazar, he's going to be making Jesus Christ the Lord of his life. And I, Ana Marcela Alvarado? Okay. Is about to make that same transition as well. And I think it's awesome that we can see through these examples, like Jesus and his interaction with Zacchaeus, how Jesus' interaction with us can have that same degree of impact and effect. That's the power of love. So let's leave here today with the heart and purpose of being ambassadors of that life-changing, unconditional love that we've discussed here this morning, and we see so exemplified in God and Jesus Christ and, how, and the Holy Spirit and how those things work in our lives to continue to transform us to be more and more like Christ. Let's go ahead and pray for communion. Father God, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to look to your scriptures and just really to see the power of your word. So many people can make assumptions about who you are and what you're about, but to be able to see and get insight into the interaction that Jesus had with individuals, knowing that he can have that same degree of influence and love demonstrated for each of us and help us with that transformation to become more like him and to look like your son, Jesus, to you, Father. As we uh, take the bread and the wine this morning, I pray that we think through the significance of what has brought us into this relationship that Jesus was willing to come down in human form for those 33, 30-some-plus 30 years, spent three years of it as a ministry, which ultimately would end in his death. But thank God he was sinless, and because of that, we have the resurrection. Father, help us to remember the power of that resurrection as we've, we think back on the day and point in time we entered into the waters of baptism which is so significant for us, a participation in that death, burial, and resurrection, and that through that, our sins were washed away, and we were able to embrace that forgiveness and love that comes through making Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.